Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today where I wish I was going to be able to talk to you about the putrid Braves starting rotation and the the wheels completely coming apart as far as starting pitching goes for the Braves. I wish I could talk about that, but I can't. I wish I could talk about the fact that my eight-year-old is completely uh, beside himself disappointed that notice came today that the 2020 Masters will take place in November, but it will take place without the fans at Augusta National Golf Course. We had tickets to go. He was going to get to go for the first time. I was going to get to go for the second time. We are both very disappointed. But the good news, the silver lining, we did find out that if you had tickets to this year's Masters, you will be able to go to next year's Masters instead. So we have something to look forward to uh, maybe in 2021. I'd, I'd, I'd like to dig into that and talk about a, that a little bit. I'd like to talk about the amazing weekend and the, the historic shot by Colin Morikawa to win the PGA Championship on Sunday evening. I'd like to talk about a lot of different things, but there's only one thing in the world of sports that we can talk about today, and that's college football. So we're going to do a deep dive. This is going to be a much different podcast than I typically do. There's going to be a lot uh, of very scripted things that I talked about. There's going to be a lot of uh, quotes that I give you to try to really dig in and understand, one, what has happened in the past week, but also to really give context to this situation without all of the hype and hyperbole that we've been hearing through the media. What is happening in college football? Where is it going to go? And we'll finish up, of course, talking about what could be next as far as the 2020 college football season goes. So buckle up. It's probably going to be a long ride, but I think it'll be worth it if you hang on. Just like everything in 2020, uh, it's been a long week. So I feel like I can't really start this podcast or really do it justice without really just taking a few minutes to review the timeline of how things have transpired over literally the last week. Today is August 12th. Uh, the timeline that we're going to talk about, I mean, obviously there's been things playing out over the past few months, but really so much has happened just in the last seven days. So we're going to focus on that. August 5th. The Big Ten released their schedule for the 2020 conference-only season, and I said last week I was surprised to see that it started on September 3rd. Um, it was really strange with the other conferences. Uh, the ACC, Big Tw- or Pac-12, and SEC had all already put out notification that their schedules maybe weren't set in stone, but hey, here's when we're going to start. And the Pac-12 and SEC had said they weren't starting till the end of September. And then the ACC was saying they were going to start basically the second full week of September, the week following uh, Labor Day. So the Big Ten came in and they were a week earlier than that. That seemed strange, but hey, it got us on the road of something's happening. We're heading in the right direction. We follow that up on Friday. So that was last Wednesday. Last Friday, the SEC announces the two additional teams that are were going to be added to each team's schedule to fill out the 2020 season. So obviously eight conference games were on the original schedule they added two teams and so i wish we could dig into that there's a lot of fun mississippi state and arkansas got added to georgia's schedule um we won if you're a georgia fan there's no other way you can look at it we got as good of a draw as it possibly could happen our opponents got significantly uh worse draws than we did it's all good news except that there has been no good news since friday night saturday morning is when the wheels started to come off so the MAC, the Mid-American Conference, uh, canceled their season Saturday morning, citing health 
concerns. Uh, the, the, the reality of the MAC situation, and I'm not saying that there are not health concerns. So I want to say that now in relation to the MAC, I want to go ahead and put that out there for the rest of this podcast. In no way am I diminishing the impact uh, that the coronavirus has on our country, on the college football season, any of that. So that is not a part of this. And I'll circle back around to that in just a little while. But I want to say it up front. Of course, there are health concerns. But when we strictly look at the Max decision, there were also a financial consideration to be taken because with all of the conferences, the Power Five conferences going to strictly conference only schedules, the Mac was in a position where many of their teams lost those BUY games, those buy games uh, where you know Central Michigan would come down and play Georgia for $1.1 million. A lot of those mid-conference teams, those mid-level teams, survive based on those two or three buy games they play every year. So uh, the financial implications for having a season without having those big paydays was absolutely a factor. I'm not saying it was the only factor. I'm not saying that in saying there were health concerns and that's why they canceled the season, that that was a lie. But to the only dishonest thing would be to not acknowledge the fact that losing those payday games for those schools was was a factor in this decision. So after the Mac Mac canceled on Saturday morning, uh, social media went crazy with reports from national football writers reporting that college football would be completely canceled by the end of the coming week. So this is where we can't avoid the politics of the situation. I'm not going to get into a lot of that, but the national guys were speaking a lot with a lot of certainty about the fate of the college football season as the day wore on on Saturday. For me, following a lot of Georgia beat writers and local writers, they begin to be publicly skeptical about the national report. So we we very early in this process, I would say about five, six o'clock on Saturday evening, there seemed to be kind of this divide. If you, you'd see people retweeting or commenting on Twitter uh, or just general reports from different uh, national publications, even like Saturday Down South, it's a more regionalized uh, website. They were reporting all of the doom and gloom. When you go to the Georgia Beat writers or when you go to uh, more localized guys that follow teams, they seem to want to pump the brakes a little bit and say that, hey, it's not as definite as the national guys were making it seem. The narrative that was being put out there was that the Big Ten was determined to cancel, that they were done. On Saturday, after the MAC canceled, the Big Ten's done, but they were trying to convince the other Power Five conferences to join them and then make a joint announcement sometime early in this week that we are currently in. Saturday night, Things turned really quickly, uh, led by Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback for the Clemson Tigers. Uh, the hashtag we want to play movement started on Twitter and throughout the day on Sunday, players and then eventually coaches were more and more vocal about their desire to play. The general message from the players, this is from Lawrence, but other people too, and that was picked up by a lot of coaches is that, of course, they, they acknowledge the risk in play, but they also wanted to make the point that not playing did not eliminate risk, and so they should be allowed to to make the decisions for themselves. It was at this point where now everybody that is any kind of associated with college football had to make some sort of statement on it. So you had guys from ESPN coming in, following in on either side. You had some, you know, uh, Danny Cannell was one guy who I typically don't agree with about anything, 
he was coming in and saying, hey, the player's voice should matter. That, you know, the local Georgia guys were all about, hey, why aren't we listening to the players? They're, it, it was very divisive, but a lot of people, and, and I will give um, some credit to Seth Emerson in particular, because I, I saw a lot coming from him where he was saying, hey, we absolutely should take the players' voices into consideration on this topic, but we should also play, take their voices into consideration on other topics because there was an overwhelming tone of the players saying, hey, maybe what we need is a players' union to represent ourselves. Then you saw people like Canel back off of that, some of the people that are a little bit more like, and we'll get into the concept of amateurism later in the podcast, but it, it, it was funny how the movement started in the early part of the evening on Saturday. And then as the night wore on and into Sunday, you had some guys were like, eh, I want to support the players. But really what I wanted to support was I want to have the season. They said they wanted to have the season, so I'm on their side now. And it was very much a situational support. And when it starts moving into uh, a, a level that I'm not necessarily comfortable with, maybe I back off that complete and total support of the players. By Monday, uh, everything was a fever pitch. You know, you still have the national guys reporting that the Big Ten was done. They've been done. They've already voted. It's done. You know, and so people are linking stories on Facebook. I'm getting in arguments with people. Um, but the only real news that we got on Monday um, was that Greg Sankey put out a, a statement. And I'm just going to read the statement here because I think it, it's very telling of where he was. Best advice I've received since COVID-19. Be patient. Take time when making decisions. This is all new and you'll gain better information each day. The at ACC has been deliberate or SEC, sorry, has been deliberate at each step since March. Slow return to practice. Delayed first game to respect start of fall semester. Develop testing protocols. We know concerns remain. We have never had a football season in a COVID-19 environment. Can we play? I don't know. We have stopped. We haven't stopped trying. We support, educate, and care for student-athletes every day, and we will continue to do so every day. As I said, this was the first official, really the only substantive news that came out on Monday, but this was the first official pushback to the national reports that the season was done. It was canceled. It had all be done. You know, it was, it was a matter of just making an announcement. Um, and so that really kind of drew the line in the sand. And quickly on Monday afternoon, Monday evening, it was established the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they were united in their desire to cancel the season and that they were going to move forward in that direction while the SEC and ACC were united in their desire to continue towards playing. And the Big 12 seemed to be all of a sudden uh, not just on the fence. I mean, th that was the way it was reported was that a decision had been not, not been made by the Big 12, but also that that could swing it that the SEC and the ACC couldn't go it alone. But if they had the Big 12 with them, then continuing towards playing was still possible. So by Tuesday the 11th, that's when we started getting the actual cancellation started. So the Big 10 cancels fall sports with the Pac-12 clo uh, close behind them. So I'm going to read you a quote now um, in, in, in one of the ESPN stories. Uh, from Kevin Warren. He's the new Big Ten commissioner. Jim Delaney was the longtime commissioner of the Big Ten. He uh, he just retired, I believe, June 30th. I believe with the new fiscal year, Kevin Warren is the new Big Ten commissioner, and 
God help him. He is in a he he came on the job at a very tough time. Here's a quote from him. It's a combination of where we are in our testing, where we are in our rapid testing. How is contact tracing actually defined? He told ESPN. There's a whole litany of issues. We have incredible policies and procedures in place and our schools, we have 14 schools in 11 different states. People are doing the best they possibly can, but when you go from the acclimation period to getting ready to put on pads and contact, and you look at the overall numbers during this global pandemic, as far as caseloads, they have not decreased. They have gone up. So the president of the Big Ten, uh, or sorry, the chair of the Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors backed that up. Our primary responsibility is to make the best possible decision in the interest of our students, faculty, and staff. Uh, that's He is the president of Northwestern University, and that was a quote from him. Now, the issue with the Big Ten was that they were not all united in their decisions as far as the, the kind of what the vote came down to. It was kind of widely publicized that the vote of the 14 Big Ten schools was 12 to 2, with Nebraska and Iowa being the two schools that were absolutely not on board with canceling. So um, they went public. Nebraska especially went public with their dissent. Um, and so here's a quote from Nebraska and a joint statement put out by the um, the chancellor, the president, and the athletic director, and the head football coach, Scott Frost. We have been and continue to be ready to play. Safety comes first. Based on our conversations with our medical experts, we continue to strongly believe the absolute safest place for our student athletes is within the rigorous safety protocols, testing procedures, and structure, and the structure and support provided by the Husker Athletics. So it was very clear, and, and Scott Frost over the last couple of days, I don't have any more quotes from him, but Scott Frost over the last day and a half has been very vocal saying that, well, if the Big Ten's not going to play, that Nebraska will find a way to play. Uh, they asked the Big Ten commissioner about that. You know, hey, can a school go out and play? And the answer was uh, a very cryptic, not if they want to stay in the Big Ten. So this is going to get, uh, I mean, it's serious, obviously, but it's going to have some lasting impacts, not just on this season, not just on next season, but on seasons to con in the future. You know, you could have a team in Nebraska who just joined the Big Ten, I believe in, you know, 2014, I, I think maybe it was a little bit earlier than that, but they've only been in the Big Ten like less than 10 years, and now they could be leaving the conference over this. The SEC did put out a, a response. Um, this was it. I look forward to learning more about the factors that led to the Big Ten and Pac-12 leadership to take these actions today. I remain comfortable with the thorough and deliberate approach the SEC and our 14 members are taking to support a healthy environment for our student-athletes. We will continue to further refine our policies and protocols for a safe return to sports as we monitor developments around COVID-19 in a continued effort to support, educate, and care for our student-athletes every day. That was from SEC President Greg Sankey. The ACC also had a response from their commissioner. The ACC will continue to make decisions based on medical advice, inclusive of our medical advisory group, local and state guidelines, and so in a way that appropriately coincides with our university's academic missions. 
The safety of our students, staff, and overall campus communities will always be our top priority, and we are, we'll, we are pleased with the protocols being administered on our 15 campuses. We continue to allow, to, we continue to follow our process that has been in place for months and has served as well. We understand the need to stay flexible and be prepared to adjust as medical information and the landscape evolves. So the SEC, the ACC came out with statements in essence saying we we understand what they've done but we're comfortable with what we have in place and we are moving forward so as i said the 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 tipping point in all of this at least as it was reported on monday as things began to formulate and formalize was the big 12 would be the tipping point of whether or not college football on a big scale got canceled for this season and today August 12th, the Big 12 released their schedule and indicated that they will continue towards playing starting on September 26th, which is the date that the SEC is saying they're going to play their first games. Um, so let's take a breath. That's, that timeline covered a long, you know, it covered seven days, but it covered a lot of information. Like I said, a lot of quotes. Let's take a second now, take a little break. We'll come back and we'll talk about what, what does it all mean. As we move into our next segment, which is going to be the bulk of the podcast today, I want to talk about kind of what all of what's happened and what it means and a little bit of why it's happened. But to have the proper context for all this, we cannot ignore the fact that there is a narrative here. And I, I, I very successfully stay away from politics in this con, uh, podcast because, you know, it's just not it's not something that usually crosses over with sports a whole lot. But. In this situation, the pandemic has taken the political aspects of the pandemic have taken over every single part of everything. You can't have a discussion about school K through 12 schools opening or closing. You can't have a discussion about masks. You can't have a discussion about restaurants. You can't have a discussion about anything without your political point of view kind of dominating and dictating in a lot of ways what your opinion on any particular subject should be. And I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think most people think it's a good thing, but it is also the reality of this situation. As I kind of laid out in the timeline, there were two different, you know, sources of information as, as things were coming out here. Um, you had the national guys. You have guys that work for, you know, big companies like ESPN, you know, uh, big, big newspapers. I mean, AJC, The Athletic. These guys were reporting certain things. And then you have guys that work for, you know, one of the one Dog Nation Daily, uh, the Rivals 247, uh, you know, or UGA 247. You have these local writers who can text a member of the staff and get an answer very, very quickly because they have a personal relationship. And the national writers, I'm sure, have personal relationships throughout the country. But when you want to get into a guy that works for the USA Today speaking about college football, you know, in the SEC, let's just be honest. They don't know what they're talking about. They are, they are casting a big net for a national publication and they are writing for an audience. So the guy that I want to focus in on as the example and one of, because he was one of the loudest voices uh, through this entire 
and it, you know, situation over the last week and really kind of set the tone for that national voice is Dan Wolken of USA Today. Um, so what I'm going to do first is just read off the three, the last three articles that he has written. All three are opinion pieces and all of them, the headlines for all three start opinion and then each thing. So the first one that, uh, that came out, uh, opinion, leaders in college football come to grips, coming to grips with the reality that sport is too risky to play amid coronavirus pandemic. That was last Thursday. The next one, opinion, college football leaders getting all wrong with season on the brink. That was Monday. Opinion, college football's demise perfectly represents America's handling of coronavirus. That was Tuesday. So to me, it's it. they're all opinion pieces. And this guy has gotten a job writing opinion for USA Today. But we have to be very, very careful in this country, whether it's sports or politics or anything else. We have to be more careful about how we perceive news and opinion. You know, I went to journalism school. You have a class, or at least I had a class. It was all about opinion writing. They just taught you how to write for opinion. And and the, the professor that I had at UGA talked all the time about added value reporting. You can write opinion, but you need to back it up with the facts that help you form that opinion so you have more validity and you more you have you carry more weight with your audience. So I'm not saying that just because this is an opinion piece, it doesn't mean that his opinion is invalid. It doesn't mean that there's no thought process put into it. But there is a huge difference in these national guys writing these opinion pieces and telling you what is happening and then reporting actual news. But, you know, the issue with a guy like Walken, and again, we're just picking one guy to kind of pick on, is if you look at his timeline on Twitter, uh, here's just over the last few days, you got a retweet of Kamala Harris being announced as Biden's running mate. A tweet mocking the president who weighed in on college football. A tweet talking about the the rising COVID numbers in the state of Georgia. Um, Nothing wrong with him having an opinion, and he's a you know he's a college football writer that has an opinion. But reading his articles, he's a smart guy. He's not dumb, but it is obvious that his political views are the foundation for his football opinions and his political uh, views of the virus, the way it has been handled in the country, what should have been done, what should be done now, all of that is leaking into his views as it relates to college football. And again, I'm not saying that it shouldn't, but that has to be taken into account. When somebody is saying, you know, wanting to use college football of all things to show how America has handled the virus wrong, to me, that's backwards. (laughs) To me, uh, an institution, a, a small piece of our world, because I, I don't understand how you can fit the two narratives together. Hey, this is sport. It's not important. But yet here, let's put it up on this big pedestal and show exactly how it's a complete representation of the divisiveness that is the problem with our response to COVID. So when when we really want to dig into what does it all mean, The first thing we have to understand is just like everything else, and it's always been this way, but it's so much higher. We're in the middle of a presidential election year, uh, and we're in the midst of a pandemic that is absolutely ravaging our nation and our institutions in this nation and our economy. So with all of that in mind, we have to realize that 
just because somebody says this is why they're doing it doesn't mean why they're doing it. So the first thing that I want to kind of deconstruct is the concept that this is all about player safety, because that's the way it's being reported from people like walking on the national perspective. But it's also the reason being given from the Big Ten and the Pac-12. It's all about player safety. You, you heard me earlier when I read off the quotes from the Big Ten commissioner. They, they weren't comfortable with whether their testing was, with their rapid testing was, with their protocols. They weren't comfortable, and it's all about player safety. And the responses from the SEC and the ACC, it all spoke to, we do feel comfortable about player safety. This entire narrative is being fought as if player safety is really what this entire situation is about. And as I said earlier, I'm not saying that that's not a factor, but to pretend like that is the only factor is disingenuous. And in my opinion, to pretend like it's the biggest factor is also a little bit disingenuous. Because if this was just about safety, I don't understand how we got where we are. So if it's just about player safety, what changed from Wednesday to Saturday for the Big Ten? Because Wednesday, they're putting out a schedule that says we're starting on September 3rd, and Saturday, they're done. And the other thing we have to acknowledge is all this leaking. I don't know if, if you go back and you look at you know Twitter or Facebook or any of the stories that were published over the weekend about you know, the coming tsunami, the fact that the season was going to be canceled and the Big Ten was already decided and they've already voted and everything else. You realize that nothing leaked. This is the way PR is done in America in 2020, okay? The Big Ten knew what they were doing, and what they were doing is they used the national guys like Walken to put out stories that laid the groundwork for where they wanted to go. Saturday, so I think it was Dan Wolken, but it might have been one of the other national guys. But Saturday at around noon, they said the Big Ten would announce on Tuesday that they're closed, that they're canceling the season. And that's exactly what happened. Now, that reporter didn't just get I mean, if, if, if we're really believing that there's 14 schools in the Big Ten and the presidents and the ADs are the only people involved at the highest level making these decisions. And one of those 28 people went rogue and started telling people outside of the room what was going to happen with that much accuracy, I think you'd have to be pretty gullible to believe that. This was a PR campaign that started on Saturday and led up to the announcement on Tuesday that, you know, it allows your advocates to go ahead and start making the case for why your decision that was absolutely already made is the right one. And that's why the narrative that guys like Walken was putting out was, one, putting the cart before the horse when you talk about all the conferences, but that's why the narrative became what it was. If the two conferences that have canceled felt like it was unsafe, that's fine, but the timeline, specifically the release of the Big Ten schedule last week that included the insanely early start date, makes it hard to believe that it, it was just player safety. Because here's the thing, I don't know what could have happened between Wednesday and Saturday. The numbers in the, the nation have been going up for a couple of weeks now. They're, it's very hard to understand what could possibly have happened Thursday or Friday or Saturday morning, other than the MAC canceling and the Big Ten feeling like, oh man, we, we have to do this because somebody else already has. 
The other reason that I don't believe the narrative about player safety by itself is that if the primary concern was truly just player safety, then why would the Big Ten or any other conference consider playing the season in the spring? What you are saying when you throw out the idea of, well, we'll we'll just wait a few months, everything will get better, which, I mean, let's be honest. If you've been living in this country since March, that's what we've heard since the beginning. Everything will get better. That's the biggest thing from the conservative viewpoint, what you have, and I'm not saying I agree with this because I actually don't, what you have on the conservative side is people coming out and saying, hey, it's not getting better. How long are we just going to live under rocks? I, I don't agree with that at all. But there's a there's at least an argument to be made there that, hey, are we really just going to sit around for two years if this thing takes two years to peter out? Um, if we don't have a vaccine in two years, like nobody's been able to say what the benchmarks are. And in the Big Ten's statements, they've not said they, they basically said, hey, we're, we're looking to per- perhaps play in the spring. They didn't say we'll play in the spring if X, Y and Z happens. They just said we're looking at it. Well, even the concept of playing in spring has absolutely no foundation in player safety, because what you're basically saying is you're going to start practicing in February. You're going to end the season sometime probably in late May, and then you're going to get these kids what, a month off before you start conditioning in June, then you start practice at the beginning of August, and we're right back around Labor Day in 2021 playing college football? The idea that that could happen is, one, I mean, just crazy. But in what context is the idea of playing 20 to 25 games in calendar year 2021 being sold as safe? How does that make any sense? A professional football team that plays as many games, regular season games, as they possibly can will play 19 or 20. 20, I guess, is the number for a team that is a wild card and makes it all the way to the Super Bowl. 20. And these are kids. But we're going to have them play 20 to 25 games to cover two seasons. To me, it's much more a money grab if you say we're going to play in spring of 21 then the guys, the conferences that are saying, hey, we feel comfortable, we're going to continue trying to play in the fall of 20. At least there's some logic there. When you say, hey, we're going to sneak an extra football season in here just so we can try to recoup some of that revenue, to me, that's much more, uh, that puts players at a much higher risk, maybe not for COVID, but just for general injuries than, than the virus does right now. Now, one thing I will agree with, uh, when it comes to like the narrative that people like Walken are putting out is that it seems at this point, uh, the fight against the virus, at this point in the fight against the virus, anyone can find experts to say whatever they need them to say to make their argument. And one of the main arguments being made by the national guys is that the SEC and other conference are planning on, that are planning on playing or should be forced to justify their decision by being transparent with the science that they are using to to make the claim that they feel like it is safe. But the SEC is given as much information from their experts as the Big Ten has from theirs. And the reality is that all of this is, you know, it's narrative. All of this is argument and that none of this is really definitive. So if I can at least crack open the door a little bit to make you convinced that this is not just about player safety, then the question very, very quickly becomes, okay, if it's not just player safety, well, what is, what is it all about? And I would answer that there are 
four things that it, it, that really factor in here. The first one is risk. And one thing that can't be ignored during this time when we're actually dealing with the pandemic is that if you have major universities, which are huge institutions tied in some cases, like the University of Georgia with a $1.3 billion endowment to billions of dollars of endowments and student athletes all over the country, major corporations like Google are allowing their staff to work from home state governments, county governments, uh, you know, anybody that is allowed to or able to do their job from home is being allowed to. Why? Do we really believe that it's just because our employers love us so much that they want to let us be as comfortable as we possibly can be? Now, on a micro level, that, that might be the case in some situations, but on a macro level, what we have to acknowledge is they don't require, they don't want to require someone to come to work with the possibility that they could get sick and then have the ability to sue their employer for creating an unsafe work environment. So these colleges are businesses as much as they are institutions of higher learning, and they have some pretty smart lawyers to tell them how to avoid and mitigate risk at every single turn. Playing college football in during the pandemic could open schools up could open up the schools and ultimately the conferences to future litigation from players and or their families for all the rhetoric surrounding the we want to play movement. How many players really would be willing to sign waivers, giving up their ability to pursue lawsuits against the school, the conference, or the NCAA if there are any long-term health issues that could arise from playing the season? The Wolkins of the world would go crazy if the institutions or the conferences floated an idea like that. But at the end of the day, as much as players might not want to miss the season, I'm sure the majority of the players would not be willing to sign that type of waiver. And I'm not saying that they should. But if you think about it, as much as it stinks, these businesses that just happen to be in the business of education are not necessarily wrong for wanting to make sure that they don't open themselves up to multi-million dollar lawsuits down the road. And that is absolutely one of the factors that factors into this entire picture of why the Big Ten and Pac-12 have already made the decisions that they have and why it's very possible that over the next few weeks we'll see the other conferences make the same decision. Another big piece of this is amateurism and the concept of amateurism. For years, there's been a controversy surrounding the idea of the student-athlete. You know, no matter what your opinion was or is on that subject, there's already huge shifts happening in college athletics. The NCAA approved at the court's behest because they were made to, uh, approved the ability for schools to compensate students above and beyond the scholarship with the cost of uh, living expenses. So, you know, based on, and then there's a formula to it, you know, somehow if you live in Auburn, Alabama, they can pay you more than if you live in Athens, Georgia. I don't know how that worked out, but they're able to put money aside for students every single year that they are eligible to play. And that money, I believe it has to be in a trust. I don't think that students have access to it while they are in school, but there's money set aside and that there are, there, there is money there um, for the student and comp, you know, a sort of compensation. Uh, many people assume 
that the the Ed O'Bannon case and and there's so much to dig into there. So I would just say if you if you're curious about that, just Google Ed O'Bannon. But that is the, the the whole concept of image and likeness. You know, if you used to be like me and you used to play NCAA football 2007, 2008, 2009, I don't think there was any after 2009. I believe that was the last game. And the reason that it was is a lawsuit was brought that said, hey. When I turn on, you know, we'll use a modern example or a more modern example. When I turn on this game and I see that the running back for the University of Georgia in this game is number three, I know in my head and, you know, based on his height and his weight and his skin color, that yeah, he's got some dreadlocks, too. That that looks an awful lot like Pied Gurley. Oh, look at his skill set. Hmm. He, he's kind of he's got a skill set that very much resembles Todd Gurley. Now, the back of his jersey does not say Gurley, but wink, wink, nod, nod. We know who this is. Now, if you remember, Todd Gurley ended up missing four games during his junior year at the University of Georgia because he signed some autographs and sold them. And the NCAA said, hey, you can't do that. That's against our rules. You made money off of your signature, and you're an amateur. So the issue that the Ed O'Bannon case kind of brought to the forefront and the reason that those games are no longer licensed and thus no longer made is because the NCAA for a long time was able to profit off the fact that number three for the University of Georgia lining up at running back was Todd Gurley while Todd Gurley couldn't sign his name to something and make any money off of that while he was a student athlete. So the concept of amateurism has been slowly disintegrating over the last few years and these different court cases and different issues that have come up and the NCAA has had to back off of certain things. They've had to allow things that they weren't necessarily fans of. But the reason this is pertinent right now is that at least from the people that I just generally talk to, um, many people assume that colleges could have to shut down again sometime in the fall, sending students home to get out of the high-risk dorms like they did back in the spring. At that point, keeping football players or any other athlete on campus while students are allowed to leave would be another example of how these athletes are treated much differently than the general student population. So when you look at, we talked about risk. Now we're talking about amateurism. Let's also throw in some money. Because when you talk about the financial consequences of, ha of not having a football season, there's been a lot of reporting on this. Just the fact that the season is canceled could completely shift college athletics, period. It is very likely that some sports will not continue in the future. And I'm not talking about like underwater basket weaving. There are already, I believe, Bowling Green said, hey, we're going to have to do away with baseball because we're losing out on this revenue. Factor in the fact that money was already lost from for the NCAA and for college basketball for not having March Madness. The long-term financial implications for college athletics for having this season shut down are immense. And we won't really know long-term what those implications are, but we know that there will be some. Now, whether that means that college baseball disappears altogether, maybe that's a bridge too far. But there's already, and I'm not saying Title IX is a bad thing, but there was already a lot of programs that, that have to close down because 
you know, you can't have a men's soccer program because you have to have a women's soccer program. You know, golf, all of these kind of non-revenue producing sports. It's very unclear whether or not they will be able to continue just by not having this fall college football season. But the financial consequences of having to share revenue in the future with the athletes themselves, as is the general practice in professional sports, that's not a million-dollar hit. Over the course of years, that's a billion-dollar hit. So when you're talking about the the risk management portion of this, it to keep these student athletes designated as student athletes and to avoid having to recognize the fact that they are playing sports that in college football and college basketball that generate millions and billions of dollars that they never see any piece of. It's worth sacrificing the football season to be able to maintain the status quo when it comes to amateurism. The last two bits, well, the, the, the next one is one that maybe is a little bit uncomfortable to talk about, but it, you can't ignore it. The social tension that we have in this country over the last few months is, is palpable. And the fact that the Black Lives Matter movement has taken over the social landscape of America is undeniable. And the perception of or just the, the, the visual of black athletes risking their health to entertain predominantly white alumni cannot be ignored. Like it or not, agree with it or not, perception is reality. And once you accept that these schools are businesses, having college athletics potentially get rolled up in the Black Lives Matter movement is bad for business. Now, the last factor here is the one that I wanted to say from the beginning cannot be understated is that there is an actual health risk. I know that. Everybody associated with this this college football, of, of course, knows that. It's acknowledged by the conferences that are continuing that there is a risk. So today's August 12th, and we have no idea how things will be by the end of August, let alone the near end of September when the SEC and Big 12, and I would assume at some point the ACC pushes back and they all start at the same time. Haven't seen any reports of that. It just makes sense at this point. But we have no idea what it's going to be like then. We have no idea what kind of outbreaks we may see on college campuses around the country as students return. We don't know if athletes will be at a higher risk for infection based on their participation in their sport, whether it's practice or games. We just don't know. So experts on each side of the argument are guessing. The people that Dan Wolken is reading and that the Big Ten is listening to, they are guessing. The medical experts for the SEC and the ACC are also guessing. They're educated guesses, but they're still guesses. And at the end of the day, there's a good chance that this season will not happen. This virus has completely upended every aspect of our lives this year. So losing a a college football season is not the worst thing, not even close to the worst thing that's happened in this country. So I wanted to make sure that I put that out there to acknowledge is even though this podcast is all about college football, this virus is not all about college football. Okay. So this football sport, I love it. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably love it, but it's small in comparison to the real world things that are happening in our country and the, the real lives that have been changed and ended because of this virus. And while I don't believe with any part of my brain or my heart 
that it's just about player safety, I do believe that player safety plays a factor in the decision-making process that each one of these conferences has gone through and continues to go through. We'll start wrapping up today in our last segment to start talking about what's next. You know, a week ago, it was unfathomable that things could have transpired the way that they did. Over the weekend, I had given up. Honestly, by Saturday afternoon, I was convinced as much as it made me mad that this is where things were going, that the political pressure and uh, just the, 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 the social pressure in general would, would override these conferences and, and college football would. You know, it, 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 it was to me, it seemed like it was a self-fulfilling prophecy when so much of the media is out there saying that everything has to cancel. It's just too dangerous. It's just too risky that it would create a social environment where that would have to be the only thing that these college presidents, ADs, conference commissioners is the only thing that they could do. Obviously, that hasn't happened. And there's really no telling. I'm recording this on Wednesday evening. There's really no telling how quickly this podcast will be obsolete. Everything could change by this weekend or by next week. So this is very momentary. I hope you listen on Wednesday or Thursday, because if you don't, all of this is probably a moot point. The three conferences that have not canceled their seasons have been very specific in their language regarding next steps. No one, not the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, the AAC, no one associated with college football has committed to play. They have simply committed to continuing on a path towards play. And while that might not be good enough for the national media with their agenda, I completely disagree with the characterization that at this point you have to be a monster to consider playing. Honestly, I'll be shocked if there's a season. I think most people listening to this are, are realistic, and we've lost so much, you know, sports-wise. Again, not comparing lives to sport, but as, as just a sports fan this year, we I think we've been conditioned at this point to expect that we're not going to get sports. So, you know, at this point, I'd be shocked if, if we did have a season. But I'm not offended by the idea that these conferences are comfortable with their plans and they want to wait and see how things progress once students are back on campus. You know, classes start here at the University of Georgia on the 20th, the 20th of August, which is a week from tomorrow. Students will have already started coming back into town, but the dorms will start filling up in the next week or so. They're, they're doing it kind of slowly. You know, the frat houses and rush and all that stuff is already happening. So Athens is slowly but surely starting to feel like a college town again, which if you live here means that you have to start staying inside anyway. COVID, you know, outside of a normal COVID situation, this is when all the freshmen come to town. They don't know where they're going. They get stuck on the loop for hours. Uh, it's dangerous just being out, frankly. And, and that's without a pandemic. That's just with freshmen. Um, but that's a full month and almost another week before the college football season is supposed to start. So based on what everybody has said is, yeah, there's kind of a two week, two week lag on this. So two weeks from now, we'll be a week into the semester. If the numbers start going crazy, they're going to cancel everything. They're probably going to send the students home. You know, th there's a lot that could change, but, the fact that the university system of Georgia and other university systems around the country are proceeding to have class in person, to me, 
that's exactly what college football is doing, the conferences that are continuing. They said, okay, we've worked, just like Greg Sankey said in one of his statements, we've been working since March on how to do this. And we're going to work out our plan and we're going to see what happens. So the reality of the current situation is that, that nobody knows if the SEC or the Big Ten has made the right call. And, and just to be clear, the SEC or any other conference, you know, or all of the conference decides in a couple of weeks that they're not going to pursue the fall season, that doesn't make the, ben, the Big Ten right. Because in my opinion, what the Big Ten has done is jump the gun. They came out with an unrealistic schedule that started way too early. They created a situation that was that made canceling the most viable option. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, they basically said, we're going to start on September 3rd. Oh, my God, we can't start on September 3rd. We got to cancel. Nobody made them decide to start on September 3rd. And and the start date matters. I've, I haven't necessarily like just come out and said this, but you only have by NCAA rules, you have so many days before you start to begin practice. So, you know, normally if the season starts on, I mean, I think it was like when it was on September 7th, I think the first day of practice at the University of Georgia was going to be uh, August 5th. Well, now with the season getting pushed back, the first day of practice has been delayed a couple of weeks. So the, the Big Ten did create a situation by saying we're going to start on September 3rd where Practice was starting earlier on Big Ten campuses than it was anywhere else. So maybe that was done on purpose, or maybe it was done because of incompetence. But either way, I don't see how anyone could have been hurt by delaying the decision. If the three conferences that have continued are on are able to play the season without massive act outbreaks, I wonder what the narrative will be at that point. Will the national media continue all throughout the season to villainize the conferences that are playing? Are there going to be like protests or, or are people going to be saying we should boycott? You know, obviously an SEC, ACC, a Big 12 country, nobody's boycotting anything. And I bet what you will see is that the television ratings are going to be going through the roof, even in those Big 10 markets. Um, but that leads me to my next question. And that's where we're going to finish the rest of the podcast is, what if the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12 can make it work? How will college football handle, the college football playoff handle only three power conferences? That, to me, is interesting. You know, it, for, for the last few years when we've had the college football playoff, you've got five conference champions and four spots in the playoff, and that's been the issue. Now, all of a sudden, we've turned it on its head. And you've got three conferences Four playoff spots. I saw somebody from a from a, a non a kind of a group of five conference come out and say, so that means uh, one of us are getting in, right? And <laughs> the answer is going to be an unequivocal no. But as we approach the season, if it's not canceled, when we're a week or two out, and it, it is apparent, like it to me has become apparent, you know, a month ago, I honestly didn't think that the university of system of Georgia would stick with their plan to actually start campus or classes back face-to-face on campus. But over the last few weeks, it's become apparent that, nope, that's actually going to happen. So if we get two weeks ahead or two weeks before the season is supposed to start and it's apparent that it's actually going to start, the biggest question facing college football fans is, will the champion of this season be legitimate without all five power conferences playing? And to me, the answer is yes. 
you know, just look at the SEC. If you play a 10-game SEC schedule and you make it and you win your division and you make it to the conference championship game and you turn around and you win the conference championship and you make the playoff and you beat two other really good teams in the college football playoff, it may be the most legitimate champion that we've ever had in college football history because they would have most likely played the most difficult schedule in college football history and in a shorter time period than you normally would have. You know, without those cupcake games to be able, you know, a get-right game, of course you always are going to have the, the teams that are not as strong in the conference. But at the end of the day, the idea that let's say you're Clemson and you make it through the ACC schedule you, you, with Notre Dame added, you turn around, you play out Oklahoma and Alabama and you win a national championship, you know, how is that not legitimate? And the, the odds are that any team that wins or plays for a national championship may not have ended up playing anybody from the two canceled conferences anyway. So let's just say it outright. Let's just be honest about the situation. The Pac-12 wasn't going to have a contender anyway. They haven't for the past four or five years. Everybody will come back and say, well, USC looked pretty good. They say that every year. USC every year starts out, you know, oh, they're, they're in the top ten, and oh, they're my sleeper pick to make the playoff. And every year they, win, they lose four games. As far as the Big Ten goes, what we're really talking about is Ohio State. And Ohio State was preseason, you know, number two, from the AP poll, the coaches poll just came out. I believe they were preseason number two there. They had a Heisman candidate at with Justin Fields at quarterback, and they have a supremely talented team who has been all over social media in the last few days, frustrated that they're not going to be able to play. But when young kids play rec sports and they want to quit, we have to teach them a valuable lesson. And that same lesson applies to the Buckeyes now that – if you don't play, you can't win. And so for the teams and for the players from these conferences that decided not to play, you hate it for them because the, the, the students didn't do anything wrong. Nobody did anything wrong. And I'm not even saying that the conference commissioners that decided to cancel have done anything wrong. But coronavirus is something that everybody's having to deal with. And if these other three conferences are able to pull off this season in a safe environment without having huge outbreaks, hopefully that will justify the measures and the steps that they have put in place and show that it could be done. Now, if the Big Ten wants to come back and say that they couldn't do it, well, that's fine. They can just kind of announce their inferiority nationally rather than us all announcing it for them. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I know that it was one of the more kind of deep dives that I've ever done, and I, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it kind of opened your eyes a little bit to just how this process has worked out. I have no doubt that by the time next Wednesday comes around and it's time to record another podcast that there will be further developments. You know, who knows? By then, college football, all the conferences could have canceled. Um there's really no telling. This is a very uncertain time in sports. And I, I just want to finish up today by saying that I, I really don't, it's just my own personal opinion, I don't have a strong personal opinion about whether football should or should not be played. I think in all of this, in all the different situations that I felt the most passionate about during this entire process, to me, the the processes themselves are what I've had a lot of frustration about. You know, local schools here, there's been a lot of back and forth. 
And that's frustrating as a parent who has kids who want to go back in person. You tell them you think you're going to get to go back in person. Then all of a sudden, a week later, it's a completely different situation. You know, with football, I've openly acknowledged a couple times during the podcast day, and I hope you hear me. As much as we all love football, as much as we all love sports, they don't matter in the grand scheme of things. But when we are talking about these huge universities, we're talking about these big conferences, and we're talking about all of this money, uh, it really bugs me that so much of the narrative surrounding this entire process and this entire situation has been, in my opinion, completely and totally disingenuous. There is no logical reason that the Big Ten's putting out a schedule on Wednesday and canceling on Saturday. Nothing changed except that narrative. And you know, the, the, the Big Ten commissioner will come out and say, well, we said from the beginning, just because we're putting out a schedule, it doesn't mean anything. That's crap. People in the Big Ten office had to work on that schedule. They had to put it together. They had to think through who was playing when. Schedules are not just magically made easily. It's a complicated process that took hours and hours and probably days and weeks to formulate that schedule. And you don't put that time in if you don't think you can play. So whether it was political pressure for political figures in the different states that have Big Ten schools, whether it was the presidents themselves kind of getting involved and deciding overruling athletic departments, whatever it was, it's not even to say that it's wrong that they made the decision that they made, but it is wrong to present it as this kind of holier than thou, just about safety and we care about the players because that's not what it is. As I've hopefully laid out for you today, there's a lot of other reasons that this has gone the way that it's gone. And it's not to say that if the SEC ends up canceling in a couple of weeks, at that point, it really will be about player safety because the same criticisms I have when it comes to amateurism and the, the trying to uh, avoid as much risk as possible. They apply to every conference equally. And the NCAA is probably one of the worst organizations in the country. So it's not that anybody in this situation is any better for the decisions that they have made, will make, or won't make in the future. The problem that I have with all of this is, can't we just let sports be sports? Why do we have to make it something different. And if you go and read Dan Walken's articles, you cannot tell me that he is not writing about politics and sprinkling some sports in. And I understand, I'm not naive. I understand that politics is going to infiltrate everything. And as big as the virus is, it's going to infiltrate everything. But I very much take offense to the idea that at this point, a conference and a university cannot decide for itself what the best way forward is and that we are supposed to listen to sports writers tell us how we're supposed to do things. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day. I hope you and your family stay safe. As always, even when there's no games, go dogs.